Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for another restful episode of True Scary Stories to Help You Fall Asleep. Today, we are going to be reading True Scary... Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Caving stories. I hope you enjoy them. Also, since it is spooky season, I do want to change up the background noise a little bit every once in a while this month. Whenever I do the compilation, at the end of the month, I'll go back to my original rain sounds. However, many of you may have saw that I put a poll on the channel asking which sounds you all would enjoy. Well, I'm going to be using the winning sound today in this video, and that is a rainstorm with rolling light thunder. I do hope you enjoy it. I'm also going to be using many of the suggestions that were in the comments of that poll throughout the month of October. So, for now, without further ado, lay back, relax, and enjoy these true scary stories. I rappelled into a 70-foot pit cave near the Tennessee River about five years ago. It was me and three other friends. We entered at noon, and by the time I had rappelled into the bottom of the pit opening, my cell phone had no service. And I mean, it didn't even show what time it was anymore, and I could still see daylight directly above me. We pressed on deep into the cave and found writings on the walls from Confederates in the Civil War. The markings looked to be written in some sort of coal, but they seemed untouched and perfectly preserved as if they were written yesterday. I'd normally say that these could have been faked by other cavers, but the handwriting seemed almost like a fancy calligraphy. One of my friend's last name is Mallory, and there was a signature of a Jim Mallory on the wall too. Pretty cool, right? Anyway, we explored deeper and deeper, and passed through a section where the only way to move forward was a sideways barrel roll technique. Mud underneath and sheer rock just feet above us for what seemed like a football field in length. Bats hung above us, inches from our faces as we pressed on, rolling sideways. We went deeper after that, and at this point we weren't seeing any signs of people who had gone before us. We didn't see any clay sculptures that had been previously ubiquitous in the cave for navigation. The cave just kept getting tighter and tighter, and then it would open back up to the large area, and then the process would loop. After one of our flashlights went out and we ate the last cliff bar, we decided to head back out. We didn't realize how long we'd been in there, and it was almost midnight and completely dark by the time we climbed back out of the pit. My phone had like 50 missed calls, because everyone knew that I was going caving that day, and they hadn't heard back in hours. And when nightfall came, it must have scared them into thinking that something went wrong. 
Time seems to go faster underground. It didn't feel like ten plus hours at all. Anyway, that's my two cents on an extremely fun caving adventure from a few years ago. One night, me and my dog were poking around inside the cave under my house. Lots of artifacts are found in there, and there are stories of Spanish treasure buried in a cave in my area. Lots of Civil War history around here, too. In fact, a dead soldier was found along with his rifle and dog in the cave on my neighbor's property. Anyway, me and my dog are poking around. I hear a banging sound. A sound like my neighbors are having a party and playing rap with the bass turned up. I can't tell where the noise is coming from. Then I hear a distinct sound of maybe two or three women with crackly voices singing. It didn't faze me at first, but then my dog started barking towards something in the cave. It creeped me out so much that I didn't go back in for over a year. This cave is maybe 50 yards behind my back door. I just looked at it and wouldn't go back in. Plus, we have multiple ghost stories inside of our house. I'm all good with it now, but it took a long time to settle in. I've told this one before, but I'll add a bit more detail. I went to Maqueta Caves in Iowa with two friends. One particular small cave that we decided to explore started with a narrow 15-meter belly crawl. At the opening, a lot of cobwebs blocked the entrance, but they seemed to clear up after a few feet. I was the most experienced caver, so I went first and did the belly crawl pretty quickly. I came out in a small domed room about 1.5 meters tall and about 4 meters across. I had some time before my friends made it, so I was describing the room to them. I looked up at the ceiling and gasped a bit. I'm not afraid of spiders, but the sheer volume of them caught me off guard. It must have been a minimum of a thousand, probably more like 1,500, all hanging from the ceiling with egg sacs all around them. I called to my friends. Hey guys, there's a lot of spiders hanging from the ceiling. Don't stand up when you get here. My friends were a little more wary of spiders and were asking questions about them. How big are they? What color are they? Are they furry? I said they're not that big. They kind of look like black widows, but they're not. They're the wrong color. They're brown. The legs look a little lighter than the body. My friend, a Wisconsin DNR warden, yelled, Really? Do they have a small pattern on their back? Sort of like a violin? Yes. By this time, my friends were about caught up with me. My friend, the DNR warden, burst into the room, looked up, shuddered a bit, and then forced himself to look at one of the spiders up close. The color in his face drained, and he screamed, Get out. Everyone get out of the cave. He didn't say any more as he was already scrambling out of the cave as fast as he could. It took us all about 20 minutes to get into the room and it took us about three minutes to get all the way out of the cave. When we finally got out, the other two of us were confused. My warden friend said, 
Those were brown recluse spiders, some of the more poisonous spiders in North America. We were in their lair. When they bite you, you go through excruciating pain for a few days, skin necrosis, and then probably die. We didn't go into any more caves with cobwebs in them for the rest of that trip. My first cave trip ever, I was somewhere around 10 years old. My dad decided that it was a good time to take the boys caving, and so off we went with our army flashlights in tow. At the time, we didn't have a map of the cave that we went to visit, and we ended up getting stuck in a circular room with a small, easily missed exit. After about four hours, all of our lights had run out, and we were left huddled together in the pitch black while my dad led row, row, row your boat, in an effort to keep us calmed down. After about three hours of singing in the cave, my mother decided that it was time to call out for help, and eventually, I'm unsure of the time frame, someone came to find us and let us out of the cave. I've since become an experienced caver, and have been in that exact cave many, many times. It's interesting to go through that little room now, and remember how dangerous the relatively innocuous room once was. It never fails to amaze me how quickly innocent mistakes can turn into deadly errors in caves. That particular cave has been the most frequently called out rescue site in our immediate area for years, and I think I could guess where most people are found. I was diving through a sump in a cave. It was maybe three foot long and two feet deep, but I had never done anything like it before. One guy in my crew set up a line that went from one side of the sump to the other, so that when we went, we could pull on the rope to let the other side know that we had made it. The water was freezing cold. Getting in up to my neck put me in instant hypothermia mode. My breathing got really shallow and quick and my heart rate accelerated. When I put my head under the water, everything slowed down. I used the rope over the top, hand over hand to pull myself through, but it felt like hours. As I got close to the end, I felt a snag. My cave suit got caught on a rock underwater, but I didn't have enough energy to panic. I felt a hand on my helmet, then it grabbed and pulled me out of the water, ripping the cave suit, but potentially saving my life. I have not been underwater in a cave since. My roommate and I were doing a cave that we have been in and out of many times. We had been in about five hours when we decided that it was time to head topside and make dinner. Where we were was an underground stream maybe ankle deep three levels down around 200 feet plus underground. We were working our way back through the stream when we passed a small waterfall about three foot high. Nothing spectacular, just didn't see it coming through. About 10 minutes later, there was a sound like an airplane taking off on a runway. 
It was loud enough that we were yelling at one another. Then we round a bend and see it. This chamber is about 30 foot high and 20 foot by 20 foot across and has now become one big flowing waterfall. The old crap feeling set in really quick. We had to move it. By the time we made it to where our ropes were set for the climb up, the water that was ankle deep was now nearing chest high. Upon arriving to our rope, we discovered it was just a mass of flowing water that we had to climb. Being an experienced climber and someone who has caved for a while, that 40-foot climb was one of the most difficult that I've ever done. After that, still being pretty deep underground, we were able to relax because that was the end of the water flow. I admit, something bad could have happened that day. Now, I chalk it up as a lesson that I learned. Even if you aren't going to be out in it, check the weather, because rainwater always flows down. Honestly, I've very rarely ever been scared in a cave. Now, it could be that I've not been scared because I've not been claustrophobic, nor am I afraid of the dark. Asking someone who likes caving to describe really scary moments in a cave seems to be counterproductive. Now, if you ask people who hate caving, but were one time forced to go anyway, what was scary about it? That might elicit the type of fear that you're trying to find. I used to do a lot of caving, and rappelling was one of my favorite parts of going. I must have dropped into a cave 300 times or more. Recently, I took a group of Boy Scouts to a vertical cave. I had to borrow someone else's rope because I didn't trust my old rope. His rope was a bit smaller in diameter and a bit more flexible than mine. It didn't occur to me that this might be a problem until I got on the rope. Once I did, I figured out quickly that I didn't have the amount of control that I was used to when rappelling. I was able to stop just barely, setting over a 200-foot drop while barely being able to keep from sliding. I decided to abort the rappel at the first ledge that I came to, which was 30 feet down. I had to lock off my rack and call off those who came with me to help me swing over to the ledge and climb back out. I did have climbing gear with me, and I could have switched over to the climbing gear, but that would have been a lot more trouble, so I took the easy way out. Since I was able to lock off the rack, I could simply rest there and think about my situation. I didn't think I was going to fall, so I wasn't afraid. I merely thought the rappel down would not be safe enough, given my difficulty in maintaining a slow speed when I wanted to do so. If I were the panicking type, I suppose I would have been very afraid that I would die. Right there, dangling 30 foot down into a pit, with gear that wasn't right for the rope that I was on and no way to control my descent. The thing is, I'm careful enough that when I decided that the rappel wasn't optimal, I chose to abort rather than risk that I had enough control to do it safely. That's the type of care that keeps one safe. If you want trials that are imaginary, then how about a vertical cave with pulldowns? You take your rope with you, and an unexpected increase in water levels there's a cave in Tennessee where there are three vertical drops of over 100 foot. One is 210 foot. But people typically only take one rope because the bottom of the cave is open 
you can walk out of it. There is always water in the cave, anywhere from ankle deep to about 18 inches. Between the second and third drop, there's a long, maybe 400 feet crawlway with low ceilings and high water levels. When I've been, there was about 15 inches of water with about the same amount of airspace above. It's a really nice crawl though, with pretty river pebbles on the floor and lots of small but clean formations along the walls. White calcite formations, stalactites, stalagmites, and soda straws mostly. Most of the formations are beige, yellow, or tinged with red, showing impurities of course, which leads to lots of variation during the 400 foot crawl. If, for example, your caver was in a small party who was exploring this cave and dropped into it expecting a typical through trip but had a problem during the second 200-foot rappel, the party could decide to float him through the crawlway and lower him down the final 100-foot rappel. They could pull down the rope and move him to where the entrance to the crawl is, only to discover that the water levels are too high and there is a very small air gap in the crawl. With water that high, the movement of the water would be very swift, and it may be too much for someone attempting to navigate it to fight their way back upstream. That person would have to contend with mere inches of air at the top of a passage that has sharp rocks all along the roof. And at the end of the passage, the water jets out over a 100-foot drop. Water pressure would try to push him out of the passage, and it would take a great amount of strength for a long time to resist that water pressure. It's likely that the fall would not kill the caver, since the bottom of the drop will be in flood. He'd hit the bottom and maybe break something, but the water would break his fall, potentially saving his life. That's assuming that he could breathe the whole way down the passage without getting his face banged up too much. The thing about caving, you never go alone. And generally speaking, you don't try to take an injured person out of the cave with small numbers. It's better to leave one person with the injured party and let two people go out and get help. That's why the smallest safe party is four people. But with one person staying back and two people trying to make it out of a flooded passage, there is the potential for lots of drama. During some cave exploring, or spelunking, I don't know the difference between the two, my family and some friends were in some deep caves, and as we were heading out, we found a split about knee-high in the rock. Getting on your stomach, there was a tight squeeze that you could get into, and it led to a small crawl space in the rock, with quartz growing on the ceiling, making a beautiful crystal ceiling display. We went in one by one, and if you were claustrophobic, this place was your living nightmare. Most times you could feel the ceiling on your back and the floor on your stomach every time you took a breath. We went deep in and it was just incredible, like a small world tucked away within a solid rock. I had made it as deep in as I could go before the path waned to the left and covered with stalagmites and stalactites of sediment. Everyone was having a grand time when we started feeling some trickles of water on our backs. It turned out it was raining outside, and with the way the crawl space dipped down before flattening out, this whole space would fill up with rainwater pretty quickly, with the only way for it to drain out was the way we came in. 
It started as trickles before it went into streams and began to pull up, being the furthest away from the exit, and you can only just crawl flat on your stomach with jagged crystal pointing down from the ceiling. I started to panic a bit. Everyone crawled out as fast as they could as the water kept coming in, the streams growing larger and larger. We left one at the time as fast as we could, but it wasn't fast enough. I could feel the water coming up to my chin as I crawled behind my brother. Each inch I took forward felt so painfully slow that I could feel the walls compress around me, and the water was unrelenting, now splashing against my panicked squirms. I got out just as the water was up to my lips, and everyone got out safely. I'm not eager to try that again. I go caving with my dad, who grew up mining uranium until his family's mine went belly up. He's pretty used to enclosed spaces and being underground, and I was raised similarly, albeit without the radion gas. I've rappelled into pits that I can't see the bottom of, bouldered my way along and over one of the largest underwater rivers in North America, nearly caught in a flash flood, and slipped into a crevice whose bottom is as of today not mapped and has never been reached or documented by anyone. It was by far the scariest thing to ever happen to me. I had to brace myself with my feet, back against one wall and legs stretched out in front of me, arms on either side. I was in a pretty good spot to be in, roughly 10 feet down, on wet, smooth rock, and my headlamp had come unplugged from its battery in my pack, meaning I only had the light from my dad looking down on me 10 feet up to see by. He had to leave to get rope, and I couldn't really go anywhere or reattach my lamp in my position. So I got to chill in that crevice for roughly an hour. But God, it felt so much longer. I thought the fall itself was scary, but it was nothing compared to that. Complete darkness, and it was so quiet. I could hear my blood rushing in my ears. I could hear my knees creaking under the pressure. Every piece of gravel that came loose from the tread of my boots hitting the sides of the crevice on the way down, just fading out. I started seeing lights and little flashes, couldn't tell if my eyes were open or closed, and I couldn't move to check, or I'd fall God knows how far. I could hear more than I ever wanted, while simultaneously experiencing the most quiet I'd ever felt, and all I could feel was the rock against my back and hands, and presumably what my feet were braced against. I started to not be able to tell up from down, started hearing footsteps and seeing movement and shapes from the corners of my eyes. It was utter hell waiting for my dad to come back with rope to help me back out. I know what I experienced was just due to lack of visual and auditory stimuli, but man, it was the scariest thing that I have ever experienced, and we always bring a good amount of rope with us now, even if we think we won't need it in a cave. I was exploring, alone, in a large ancient cemetery outside of a small town in Israel. These were Canaanite tombs that were thousands of years old. 
Many in this region have been left unexcavated, so the area where I was looked like a huge low hill full of little dimples marking where these tombs were. So I was wandering around these shaft tombs, which were dug deep into the ground and then branched out with different spots, carved out of rock for family members to be laying. Some of the tombs were open to the air and quite deep. I got a little too close to the edge and fell in. I fell maybe 10 feet and was stuck down there. It was a vertical drop, and the sides were loose stone and rubble. It was the middle of the day in Israel in the summer. I had no water, and my cell service was kaput since I was below ground. I remember just standing there, looking up out of this hole in the ground with the blazing sun above and realizing how silent it was. It was an awful feeling stuck in an ancient grave like I was experiencing the same silence that had existed there forever and I was now a part of it or some sort of deep thought like that anyway I tried to scramble out but the sides were too eroded and kept crumbling when attempting to hoist myself out I was really scared that I might bring down a whole wall of this tomb and become the most recent burial in a few thousand years Anyway, I was stuck for maybe 15 minutes at the most before levering my way up by holding onto some roots and bracing myself on some more stable bits of stone. The feeling of getting the heck out of there was so relieving and personal. I rarely share that story because I was such a fool. So, not a cave, but still a pretty scary stuck-in-a-hole story. I explored many sites afterwards, but always much more prepared than I was that day. I hadn't even told anyone where I was heading when I left the house. I don't think it would be wise for me to say the specific location, but if anyone is truly interested in some more details about what I was doing, why, and where, feel free to ask. I grew up down in the desert where there was a lot of old abandoned mine shafts. We would go explore the mine shafts for fun. There would always be some level of danger. It was common to see old abandoned boxes of dynamite and leftover mining equipment. One time we went and explored this vertical mine shaft which had a ladder that worked its way down. The ladder had a platform about every 20 feet and a hatch that would continue to the next level. I was with about six people, I believe. We had gone down to the bottom of the mine shaft. I would guess it was about 700 feet down at this point, and we got to the point where the shaft was full of water. We all decided to go swimming in the water, which was creepy in its own right. But as we were climbing up, I was looking up and I could see a light moving around. I began realizing that someone else was in the mine shaft with us. I came to one of those hatches and had just poked my head out when I looked to my right and I see a flashlight moving very rapidly towards me. And then the hatch was slammed shut on me. Someone was standing on the hatch and I could not open it. I was able to open the hatch after about five minutes and it turned out to be someone that recognized our cars and was a friend of ours that was just messing with us. But it was a very terrifying feeling 
in the moment. When I was around 10 years old, I found a cave way back in the woods at my family's cottage. Now, when I say cave, you have to use your imagination because this was an eight foot by five foot by four foot ish hole in the wall. This became a project for us to find mosses and ferns to adorn our hideout and make a door out of bark and sticks. We came back to our hideout in early spring to find the door out of place. I picked it up and moved it close to the entrance to replace the door, only to find a large furry friend squatting in our hideout. Now, normally, we don't have any of the large fauna on our side of the lake, but we had still taken wildlife safety just in case. So when I quickly backed off and mouthed bear, my eight-year-old sister did what she was taught to do and started yelling as loud as she could. She only half pay attention to the bear aware course, never wake a sleeping bear, and never scare a bear in a corner. Thank God that we were far enough away by the time it woke up and squeezed out that it decided to run away from us scary 8 to 13 year olds instead of maul us. I don't know if this sounds creepy, but it definitely gave us a scare and then a laugh. My aunt and my cousin were visiting us in our town for the first time since before she gave birth to him. She says that she would like to go to Carlsblad Caverns, so we do. We're underground and kind of break off from everyone else on the design path. I believe we just passed the section between the totem pole, heading towards the seating area called Top of the Cross when all of a sudden, we hear this screechy rumbling just echoing through the caves. We all just kind of look at each other, wondering what was going on. Is there an earthquake? Is part of the caverns collapsing? Then it just stops. Everyone is okay, and we keep walking and joke with each other. The caves are so quiet, even with the hundreds of people that are down there with you. I mean, just talking normally feels wrong and you feel like you have to whisper. All you hear are faint mumblings. So when this sudden rumbling just came roaring through, not gonna lie, it gave me a mini heart attack, and it definitely freaked out my mom and my aunt. Anyway, as we get closer to the seating area, we hear it again, but this time we're able to see what it was. It was a park ranger. Yep, the park ranger was pushing a cart with her laptop in it, and I'm assuming equipment to monitor the cave's temperatures, readings, etc. Definitely gave us a good laugh after that. Not a cave, but similar. At my old school, there were maintenance tunnels under the school. There were the new ones, and there were the old ones that the school didn't use anymore. 
My friend, Chloe, and I found an entrance to the old tunnels in a classroom that wasn't being used. We had to pick a lock on a trap door, unscrew a round metal top, and lower ourselves into a square, dirty tunnel. The main tunnels were about two feet wide by three feet tall, with maybe two inches of dirty black water in the bottom. The tunnels were very dark and cold, and smelled like mold. We began exploring it a little bit every day. One time, we were in there for maybe 20 minutes, and Chloe passed out. Turns out there were some dangerous gases down there. I had to drag her out. Next time, we brought masks and flashlights and began mapping out the system. We tracked more than 700 feet of twisting, turning tunnels. They went up, down, and turned to the sides. We used chalk to mark the walls so that we could find our way back. After a particularly long expedition, maybe three hours, we headed back to where we came in only to find it locked. We pushed and turned on the metal cover. It didn't budge. We were trapped inside. We rushed through the tunnels, trying to open each of the three openings we had found over time. None of them would open. Any panic we had now surfaced, and to say the least, we were kind of freaking out. We ended up heading down a tunnel we hadn't been down before. After a while, I kept hearing noises behind us. I told Chloe, who was crawling in front of us. We froze, turned off our flashlight, and listened. Sure enough, a steady splashing sound was following us. We freaked out and made a run for it. Let's keep in mind we had no idea where we were going at this point. After maybe ten minutes of a panicked dash through the tunnels, tripping over pipes and scraping our knees, we emerged into a bigger room. We realized it wasn't a room, but sort of a down section of a much bigger room. We had came out in the drainage section of the boiler room. Now, you might think our adventure stopped here, but it didn't. This was the second Friday of the month. There was someone doing maintenance down here. We hid behind some old metal stairs, and when the guy left for more tools, we scrambled up the stairs, out the door, and hid in the girls' locker rooms for the rest of the day. We never did find out what that splashing noise was, or who had locked us down there. The end. Sorry that it wasn't exactly a cave, but I hope you enjoyed it. This happened when I went on a cave tour with my family when I was small. We were all huge claustrophobes, so we did the -the run-of-the-mill cavern tour that took you into huge rooms. They offered a spelunking tour that was spelunking for dummies, emphasis on it being safe and fun for the whole family. Our tour is in this cavern, listening to the tour guide, when the spelunking tour guide pops out of a little hole in the wall. He tells our tour guide that the woman directly behind him got her hips stuck and he needed to go to the other end to get everyone behind her to back out. This is like ten or so people, so our tour for some reason followed him. We get to the other end and find out that the last guy in also got stuck in the tunnel. So there's eight or nine people stuck between these two heavier people. They were probably in there for 30 to 45 minutes. When they came out, a couple of them seemed rattled. Most were fine, which baffles me. 
They said the tunnel was really small. Artur ended while they dealt with that, but no one thought to help Artur get back out through the maze that we entered, and we were told not to leave so we wouldn't get lost. So we had to sit and watch all this unfold. The company offered Artur a refund and tickets for the spelunking tour, a higher value than the tour that we were on. I think everyone declined the tickets. Two friends and I were caving in West Virginia. We had planned to do a thorough trip of Baden's cave, going in one entrance and coming out the other side. About 90% of the way through, our one friend slammed her knee on a sharp pointy rock and could not put any weight on it. Crawling back out on the knee was out of the question, and climbing up out of the exit was tricky. Any accident in a cave is 10 times more serious than inside, but that wasn't really the scary part of the trip. We finally made it back out of the cave at about 1 a.m. We were hiking through the woods, slowly back to our car, mostly paying attention to our hurt friend. Suddenly, there was this blood-curling, growly scream noise that came from directly ahead. We looked up to see a pair of eyes, roughly at eye level, drop to the ground and slowly move to our left. In hindsight, it was probably just a bobcat that we startled. We like to think it was a bobcat and not a mountain lion. Makes us feel better. The single most instant real-life jump scare I've ever experienced. I used to cave a lot. Haven't been recently, and I need to go again. One of the last times I went, we explored some caves that I'd never been in before, which led to two somewhat scary incidents for me. Cave number one was my type of cave. Wet, muddy, tight spaces, and lots of crawling. The stuff that I love. To get out of the cave, though, required getting through 20 meters of very deep water. In other words, swimming and overalls and gumboots. As you can imagine, for someone like me who is not a strong swimmer, I went under pretty quick, even with a blown-up wine bladder in my shirt for flotation. I made it out, obviously, but I swallowed a heck of a lot of water and probably came quite close to drowning, which is why I was really angry when the guy who'd been behind me the whole time asked why I hadn't used the narrow ledge on the side to walk on like they had done and avoided swimming. Nice of them to tell me about it. Cave number two was more of a pretty cave, which is still nice, but not as fun for me. So on the way back, I decided that I'd squeeze through the little side tunnel running alongside the main path. Some of the guys had used it on our way down, so I knew it was safe. But none of us took into account that taking the tunnel down meant that I was now using it up. Up. And with a fairly sharp bend in the middle probably close to 90 degrees. Sure enough, when I tried to turn on my side to get around the bend, I got stuck. There's a photo of me looking at the guys out the end, and you can see that my shoulders and hips are bigger than the hole I needed to get out of. It took a lot of pushing one end and pulling the other, 
but I did eventually get out. Funnily enough, no one else wanted to try it after that. I took a trip to Iceland. Me, my girlfriend, and my two friends and their significant others. We had it on our itinerary to stop and check out a lava tube, an underground tunnel that lava used to flow through. This tunnel was completely underground after the first 200 meters or so. It twisted and turned, so we lost all sight of daylight from the entrance. Pitch black, total darkness. We start our little hike. The tube is only two kilometers, if that, from start to end. It was July, but there was still snow in some of the tunnel that was open to the outside. Very cool. We came across a few couples who told us that the rocks get treacherous and they didn't have flashlights. We had a few and were all fairly athletic, so we figured, sure, why not? After about an hour of going up and down the large boulders and volcanic rock, we get to a large hill in the tunnel. At the top of this hill is this huge boulder just setting very precariously at the top. The boulder was tapered off a bit on the back side, so it wasn't bad to get up but the front side. We saw it at first was flat. Not smooth, but just a straight, flat part of the rock. I climbed up because I thought that it would be a great spot for a Superman pose for a picture and a good storytelling piece. I climb up, get into position. My buddy snaps the picture. After he takes the picture, with flash obviously, one of the girls noticed something rather odd to my left. Everyone shines their flashlights on the area, and about six feet to my left, suspended 10 to 12 feet above the bottom of the cave, was a rope anchored to the ceiling. Came down out of the anchor to a knot about four feet from the ceiling. The knot turned into a loop. The loop had been cut at the bottom. It looked like a noose. Yellow nylon rope suspended 1.75 kilometers into a lava tube, 20-ish feet above the floor of the cave. The strangest part was that there was no easy way to get to the roof to anchor it. It was a very well-done anchor and had been there a while. It looked like someone was determined to come out and spend their final hours in absolute darkness. We kept going, but noped about it the entire time. As a teen, two friends of mine, brothers, who still cave 50 plus years later, I don't discovered a tight passage in a cave at the edge of our town in the limestone hills of southern Indiana. There was a small hole in one wall that had a stream pouring from it. By holding their heads up and moving on belly, elbows and knees, they were able to worm their way into a tight passage over two small waterfalls, about 160 yards to where the cave opened up in pristine beauty. I joined them in exploring and mapping this cave that they named Fox's Den. Another acquaintance, Gary, convinced us that he should go with us. 
We knew that he had a touch of claustrophobia, but he swore that it was fine. The four of us headed in. The two brothers were ahead of Gary, and I was last. About halfway through the tight, water-filled passage, Gary froze. He was in panic mode and began to moan and cry. The passage had about eight inches of cold water in it, with just enough space to keep our heads above water if our helmets bumped the ceiling. It was way too narrow to turn around in. We tried to get Gary to move ahead the remaining 80 yards or so to the bigger room that we could turn around and get him out. He would not slash could not do it. We were all getting cold. Finally, we persuaded him to try and crawl backward. It took forever to get the 80 yards backward. Absolutely forever. We were shivering and teeth were chattering by the time we got back to the main passage. Guess what? When we got back into the sunshine, Gary said that he was fine and that we should head back in. We all said no. Recently, my best friend and I stumbled upon an unknown cave system deep in the jungle of the island where we live. As we were making our way out, my friend kept hearing low grunts and heavy breathing following us from behind in the dark. Thinking that it was probably some wild animals, boar or deer, my friend tried to scare them off by lighting up a flare, then threw it into the darkness behind us. He said when the flare hit the ground, he saw something that sent chills all over his body. That's when he turned to me and said in a very low voice, let's get out of here. I wasn't really sure what was happening, but I followed suit, seeing how scared he really was. It was only until we reached our car that he told me what he had seen. Some long strands of black hair fluttering back into a corner behind a deep rock in the cave. My first experience with any sort of caving was the Lava Beds National Monument last year. My friend Josh and I were checking out the various caves and hike points, and there was one you had to descend this steep ladder down into with a rock jutting out that the lady at the visitor center said to watch out for because people knock their heads on it a lot. This isn't relevant other than to say that I was most definitely knocked my head on it. Of course. Anyway, so this cave has two directions that you can go, and we had gone down the right path because we heard people in the left, and I wanted to kind of have my reign of the cave, so to speak. Because I was recording and lending humorous audio commentary to a poorly lit view of this really neat looking cave, about halfway into the cave, we came to a short, rocky drop that was a bend in the path before you reach it. And once down it, the room opens up into a sort of large cavern. The cavern itself is eerie, but only in that like, whoa, nature is cool as heck. And also, I'm underground in its really dark kind of way. My trusty new headlamp is casting light on the walls, and there's sparkling gold from something. I don't remember what. 
The guide had told us, but I'm kind of spacey, and it's been a year. Again, this isn't really relevant other than me wanting to share how freaking sweet this cave was. So, we sit and ooh and ah at this for a little while before turning back, because the terrain starts getting more work than our little, ill-prepared selves are capable of. I'm in the lead, because I have the new headlamp, and it's easier for me to navigate than it is for Josh. And also, he has the balance of a deer on ice, so I'm trying to lead us over easier terrain. Well, this is the point in the story when I say that down in that room it was quiet, and save for the occasional water drip or general cave noise, you can't hear anything other than your own breathing, and whatever talking you're doing yourself. We didn't hear anyone coming down the path. We didn't hear voices. The only people in that cave were clear on the other side of it. Or so we thought. Because I was coming up that steep incline, looked down for a second to position my hands, and when I looked up, my face was inches away from another. Seriously. One second this guy wasn't there, and all of a sudden we've almost smacked into one another. Gave me quite a scare but I was laughing a few seconds afterward. The guy was only startled because I was. He'd seen me and thought that I saw him, but I sure as heck didn't. I think maybe he was leaning down to help me up. Not really sure why else he felt the need to be so close to me. He apologized a lot. It was funny afterward. So yeah, not supernatural or even that scary at all, but my heart was racing the whole way back even if I was laughing about it. 10 out of 10 would do again. Growing up in the LA suburbs, my brother and I used to explore the storm drain ditches and tunnels. The biggest one ran under several cities starting in the hills as a five-foot pipe and ending as three parallel concrete tunnels, each big enough to drive a moving truck through. Once we put our bikes down there and rode the whole length underground, emerging near the Dominguez Channel, almost at sea level. When we saw the sunlight at the end, we all started racing our bikes as fast as we could. As soon as we rode out into the sunlight, we discovered algae more slippery than ice, coating the entire width and ended up in a huge pileup with grass-green algae ground into concrete rash. The time we could have died, the pumps were running to drain a sump, dumping probably acre feet per hour into this 7 by 7 foot square tunnel from a 5 foot diameter pipe. This resulted in higher than knee deep water downstream of the branch. As 14 to 15 year olds at the peak of idiot drive for adventure, but before good risk assessment skills had developed, we seriously considered wading through anyway, expecting it to get lower where the tunnel widened a ways in. Fortunately, we decided to turn back that day. As an adult, I've explored a lot of old mine shafts in the mountains and deserts. In several, there were stopes or steep shafts going straight down 30 to 100 feet, with only a few rickety old boards across one side as a bridge. Falling down one of these is a common cause of mine explorer death.
not cave, but mine exploring. I was exploring an old lead mine. It was relatively well known, but I had gone in via an adit much lower down the hillside than the normally used entrance, planning to see the lower workings not normally accessible from the top adit. After a little way, I came to what I thought was the base of a stope, which I had seen before from the upper entrance. A stope is a vertical or near vertical working, often spanning several levels where a seam of ore has been cut out of rock. Making my way along this for a little way 20 or 30 meters, marveling at the flow stone deposits, I suddenly felt the floor of the stope spring a little. The floor was covered in centuries of mud and debris as in normal mines. I froze and scraped the mud on the floor with my boot. Wood. Old, rotten wood. It wasn't the base of the stope. I was on a wooden false floor. God knows how far down it goes. Could be four feet. Could be forty. I've never known fear like I did. Then, as I tried to gently retrace my steps back, putting my feet on my old boot prints until I cleared the stope. One hundred plus year old water soaked wood was all that was between me and what could have been a massive drop onto God knows what. This was when I was much younger and invincible. About an hour into a cave, I was going through a narrow chasm that was just wide enough to turn sideways and slide through it. If you took a cross section of the chasm, it would look like a series of hourglass shapes stacked on top of each other. The top was wide. It narrowed greatly near my chest, wide by my hips, then narrowed by my feet. About 30 feet into this chasm, the bottom drops away, and I have to press my feet outward against the walls of the chasm to hold me up while I'm still turned sideways, sliding through the upper narrow portion. I can't really see my feet or what I'm pressing against to hold me up, so I'm kind of just feeling my way forward. Eventually, one foot slips, immediately followed by the other, and I drop down a few inches, and I catch myself on my wrists and elbows along the bottom of my rib cage on the skinny part of the hourglass. My position won't give me enough leverage with my arms to pull myself up, so I'm feeling around with my feet for something to stand on. I'm concerned, but not freaking out. But I'm also not able to find something to stand on. Eventually, my arms start getting tired, and I start sliding deeper into the skinny part of the hourglass. As I slide lower, I realize that each time I exhale, I drop down an inch, or so, and the skinny part of the hourglass is starting to prevent me from fully inhaling. That realization that I can't breathe freely triggered a bit of panic, and I start frantically kicking, looking for something to stand on, which just causes me to slide deeper. So I'm starting to freak out, and I'm stuck taking half breaths, and I'm thinking I'm either going to get stuck and suffocate, or I'm going to pass out and drop into this chasm that I can't see the bottom of. I don't know why it dawned on me, but I put one foot against the wall and the other foot against the opposite side and just pressed as hard as I could to give myself leverage to push myself up and catch my breath. I ended up just using that feet against the wall method to just scoop my way forward 
until I got to where the floor came back up and I could stand and rest. Thank you so much for listening to all of the stories in this video. I hope you enjoyed them. I also hope that you enjoy the extra soft thunderstorm sounds at the end. Have a great night, everyone. And I'll read to you in the next video. Bye-bye.